College counselor Melanie Tassoff specializes in helping neurodiverse learners and learners with specialized needs navigate the college process. Welcome to this week's episode of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. You're about to listen to our conversation with Melanie and pay particular attention to how well-rounded her approach is and how she really focuses on the whole child's readiness for college. She talks extensively with us about best fit and what that actually means, gives us the latest information on the SAT and ACTs. She discusses the specific fears and concerns that parents are navigating throughout this process, the true importance of independent living skills in assessing readiness, and some gap year alternatives that can be the right next step for learners. If you haven't yet, we would be honored if you would give us a five-star review on however you are listening to this podcast. Those reviews help other people find the podcast and also really make Steph and I feel good. We put in a lot of effort into this podcast, and that's one of the very simple ways that you can support the work that we are doing here. Now, let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer you have to learn smarter the educational therapy podcast hi smarties welcome to episode 163 of learn smarter the educational therapy podcast i'm stephanie pitts and i'm rachel cap and today we're really excited to have college counselor melanie tassoff with us hi melanie Hi, Rachel. Hi, Steph. Hi, Smarties. It's nice to be here. I love that. (laughs) Thanks for agreeing to come on. We're really excited about this conversation that we're about to have Yeah, about sort of the whole college process and you specifically. Well, I'll let you share. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and who you do it for? Well, I am an independent college counselor and I work with a lot of different students. I wanted to share a little bit about my background in that I have different hats. I have the college counselor hat and before I had the mom hat. I was introduced to learning differences and other specialized needs with my own three boys. And it's a real learning process, as many of us have found, it becomes near and dear to our hearts. So all three of my boys have learning challenges. Two of them have health issues as well, in addition to learning challenges, has other special needs. And so I've learned over the years to navigate, to understand these kids, and to truly appreciate the gifts that they bring, because they are amazing, they are bright, they just operate differently or learn differently. So fast forward, I went into the field of special needs with nonprofits and also with nonprofits into blended hybrid learning for kids that learn differently and thought the best way to help these kids beyond high school is to become a college counselor and look at different options and know that they can be successful with the right fit and support. Well said. Love it. Yeah. So how does the process work and how do you assess what the right fit is, which school gives the right support while still fostering independence and autonomy in our learners? 
Well, just like with any student, whether someone has learning challenges or other needs, it is about fit, as you said, which I'm so glad you use that term because that's the foremost thing. It's the fit. And for me, my two words are you need to be happy where you are and you need to feel comfortable. And of course, there needs to be support to help make you successful. So some of the ways that I help students are, number one, we get an idea, what is the background? If someone has an IEP or a 504 or some other educational plan in process. So typically we look at all those reports, but it's not just about, oh, You have a learning issue. You have an IEP or 504. First of all, IEPs don't follow you to college. So that's something that families have to realize too. And part of what I try and do is help educate families on this transition. You know, who's my advocate? Well, during high school, during elementary, it's usually a parent, a teacher, a coach, you know, maybe a learning specialist. Well, when they go to college... The student has to sign a waiver for the parent to even have any access. So that's one component. In looking at colleges, you know, we hear a lot about disability service centers. We hear a lot about fee-based programs. A common one that's often talked about is at University of Arizona, the SALT Center. And those are terrific programs But they're not the be-all to end-all because I look at colleges again, where is the best fit? And I keep saying that word because it's so true. Where are they going to have support? Because a college doesn't necessarily have to have an additional program or fee-based program for a student to have support or be successful. You know, there are a lot of smaller, wonderful colleges where professors and the staff are truly engaged with the well-being of the students. So we look at that. Then I talk to the students. I talk to the parents. I actually use questionnaires for the parents and for the students to get more of a background as to their thinking, you know, for this next step. How do they describe themselves? How do they feel they learn best? You know, has there been anyone that's influenced them in a certain way? Do they relate to a certain quote or something? You know, these are just little components. And then we go further and I do more questionnaires about types of colleges, types of learning. I have a whole program that I use and it's everything from the academics to the social life, to the geographics. I often say, you know, weather can be a real issue for a lot of kids. Especially from California. (laughs) Oh, where do I want to stay? California. California. Where do I want to go? I said, you and everybody else, you know. (laughs) But, you know, we're very blessed with weather in general, except for our 110 degree days occasionally. But That can be a real issue because if it's dreary and rainy and someone has a depression or anxiety, 
well, that's probably not going to be the best place. But other kids look at it that, hey, it's four years and I want something different. I want seasons. I want snow. And then three months later, they go, I don't want snow. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And they, they're done with their ice little crampons on their shoes, you know, to walk through. And they've made their snowman at the first snow. And then by March, they're like, <laughs> It's still snowing. (laughs) I can't remember if I told you this story already, Melanie, so forgive me. Mm -hmm. But my brother went to Chicago for graduate school. And he was like very young. He was 20. He had a kind of crazy college trajectory. And he was getting a one-year master's. And obviously, we're all from Los Angeles and went to school up north. And the most extreme weather truly either one of us had ever been in is rain. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and an occasional earthquake, but whatever. And I'll never forget, he calls and he's like, okay, so it's really cold here today. And at the time, the way he was styling his hair, and I'm sure people like know where this story is going if they have experience being in cold weather. (laughs) He was like wetting his hair and then spiking it with gel. Oh my. Whatever. You can tell how long ago this was (laughs) just based off his hairstyle at the time. (laughs) And he's like, Rachel, I was walking to class (laughs) and all of a sudden I had like a splitting headache. I didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden my head was just like on fire. Well, his head was freezing (laughs) and he had to go out and get a blow dryer. And he's like, I've never blow dried my hair before, but I can't go out with it wet. We were all laughing about it because my parents wouldn't have known to tell him either because we're all here. (laughs) They think they want snow, but, you know, I talk to them and I talk to parents and I say, look, it's four years. And the big thing is California kids think they can go and wear their sweatshirts. I go, you, (laughs) I said, you, you know, little plug, but not plug boots, good boots, L.L. Bean or Land's End, you know. They know what they're doing. So you have to get the right gear. Fair enough. You know, we talk about that. Yeah. So weather, that's funny. Yeah. I'm surprised his little peaks didn't break off like icicles. I think he was lucky. (laughs) That's so funny. That is funny. So these are, you know, just some of the things that we talk about weather. I obviously just picked out, but, you know, size, how are they going to do in a classroom, which I should say lecture hall of three to 500 students and then having TAs or are they going to relate better in a large class of 50 or 70, which is considered a large class at a smaller school and they have direct access to the professors and they're taught by professors. So professors or TAs, these are all just different components that we look at. And I could go on and on about that, but uh, hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of some of the things we cover. This is a question that keeps coming up, especially with the older kids that we work with. But there's been a lot of changes going on with the SAT and the ACT. And I know everybody's confused. Rightfully so. Everybody's getting different information. It's not clear. So will you tell us a little bit about what's going on with that? And you told us off air some interesting information about this last year. So I'd love for the audience to hear that as well. Absolutely. So the SAT, otherwise known from the College Board, and the ACT are going through dramatic changes, as you have said, in terms of their need at the colleges, because this COVID has basically equalized the playing field. 
if you're not meeting in person, how do you test in person? And if you're not testing in person, how do you monitor testing online? And unfortunately, a lot of families still felt the need to drive, to get that test done. We are heartbroken and just shocked that people have driven to Arizona, they've driven to Utah, they've driven to Nevada to try and take the tests. And first of all, this isn't what the colleges want either. Because let's think, if you're going to be doing that, that's not available to everybody. And also stressful and just a lot of extra time and energy for the kid as well as for the family, the whole thing. It just feels like too much. Exactly. And colleges and universities, that is why so many of them, most of them, in fact, made the testing optional for the applications. But that's confusing, too. As you said, is it really optional? Right. Is it not? Yes. When they say test optional, it's optional. Now, does that mean that you can't submit it? Not necessarily. If they are test blind, that means they'll take it and basically throw it in the wastebasket or throw it in the trash or whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. But test optional, you know, maybe you have a student that's thinking, well, my grades aren't that high. You know, maybe my portfolio, when I say portfolio, I'm not talking about art, but just, you know, about the student and things like that. Maybe it would help me a little if I did real well on a test or in the past. So first of all, If someone doesn't go the crazy route of driving all over the country to take the test, if there is something that maybe they had tested, this was especially more for the 2021 and 2022s, if they had the opportunity before that they took a test and they have a score and it's a score that they like, well, maybe we would consider including that. But it's on a case-by-case basis. It's on a school-by-school basis. My team that I work with, my Magellan team, we literally, this past year, we would go school-by-school, well, student-by-student, and say, does it make sense if they had an SAT or ACT score? Does it make sense to submit? Does it not? And one by one, we would figure out. And I had students that I said, okay, we'll submit to a couple of schools. And we're not submitting to the rest. You happen to have had a score. Okay. They didn't take it the two, three, four times that people also have gotten into rut doing. I understand taking it maybe twice and everything. You get a baseline, you get an idea. But I always say, take a practice test. Take a practice ACT, take a practice SAT if you really are thinking about doing it and see, number one, if one's more comfortable than the other. We don't know what's going to happen in 2023 yet. There are some schools that have gone, you know, two, three years out saying that they're going to be test optional. Others are still deciding. And others, as we know, with the UCs and the Cal State said, we're not doing this. Uh, Now, they may be coming up with their own test, but it's a big system, the UC and the Cal State. And believe me, the rest of the country is looking at this. If it's optional, they're not saying it to fake you out. Exactly. What they say is what they mean. It is optional. It really is. It's really interesting to watch families sort of recalibrate what they thought was going to happen and sort of adjust and also trust what they're being told. So I can imagine that a lot of this is out of 
fear of getting screwed over. Yeah. And they want, just like everybody, all the opportunities for their kid, which sort of brings me to my next question is this is a very anxiety producing process. I know from personal experience when I was going through the process and 10 years later watching my cousins go through the process and sort of looking back, it doesn't really matter where I went to undergrad. I'm very proud of where I went and I had a wonderful experience, but it doesn't necessarily inform what I do now. It didn't teach me how to podcast or have my own business or anything like that, but it did give me some amazing skills in other ways. And I transferred. Right. And a lot of times where you go is not this like big forever decision that 18-year-olds applying and parents coaching their 18-year-olds about applying are sort of looking at it. So I'm curious how you sort of help parents manage expectations, the emotionality around all this, you know, their baby's leaving the house. That's also underlying. And then if there's a learning issue or a specialized need, that's another layer of anxiety and concern about, you know, everybody just wants their kid to thrive and really be happy. And so how do you sort of help families through that? I'm glad you asked that because it is, as I said, a two-part process. It's not only helping the student but it's helping the families. And as you said, you referred to your experience. And a lot of these families think of their own experience because this may be their first child. It may be their only child, but it's not the same, number one. Number two is the parents, especially for a student with learning issues or other needs, they've been an integral part of this child's life for as long as they can remember, since birth or shortly after or whenever it kicked in, so to speak. So I think it's important, and again, throwing back on my parent hat, having gone through this and still going through this, first of all, if you have a child that operates differently, it doesn't just stop. It doesn't just say, okay, we're done. You know, they still have it, but they learn how to advocate, They learn how to cope. They learn all different things to work with it. And having the parent, there are people that feel, okay, well, I'll just take it from here. No, you can't just diss the parents out of this because they are an important component. My role is to work as a team for Team Joe or for Team Megan or, you know, whatever. I always feel that if they have educational therapist or a tutor or sometimes a coach, a life coach or something, we're on Team Megan. And the parents are part of that team too. But our role as the team is to help remove some of the conflicts and the stress and the anxiety of the parent and to work with the student as a team for what's best for that student. I have parents that I've worked with and explained things to, and they are thrilled to get the updates. I do a lot of updates by phone. Some people just do emails. I do both because I think it's important to have the dialogue back and forth. You know, if there's a quick question, sometimes you feel more comfortable just asking it verbally than formulating the thoughts in an email. So I'm there in that aspect. As far as the anxiety part, 
again, you know, there's a lot of conflict and anxiety between families and their student, and there can be expectations from the parent or parents or different expectations from the students, and it doesn't make one right and one wrong. We moderate that and see really what the best journey is. I mean, when I started my original business, I called it uh, College Journey because that's really what I feel it is. Mm. And people have different paths and it doesn't mean that they can't be successful. But, you know, a path may veer off a little, veer back. And you're saying about, you know, areas of interest. Well, some people really do know what they want. I mean, my oldest, for example, the one with all the learning issues and other needs, he knew from like age four or five, he wanted to go into marine biology of some type, you know, fish, marine biology, whales, things like that. He's a marine biologist and fisheries biologist now. But those kids are not often... The typical is you may have a number of interests. So what major? Do you change your major? Do you go in undecided? There are a lot of different options. And people think, let's just talk for two seconds if I can. Let's say someone's pre-med. Well, they go pre-med. Well, I have to be biology. I have to be chemistry. No, you don't. There are a lot of other majors that you can be to go to medical school. Yes, you have to take the biology classes and chemistry classes because you need to be prepared. But, you know, maybe you're a psychology major. Maybe you are a philosophy major. Maybe you're an English major. You know, there's a lot of different possibilities. And change is a real component that is okay. Yeah, especially for an 18-year-old. I just love that you brought up like the example of your son who happened to know at age four or five and then stuck with it all the way through. I cannot tell you how much pressure, and I'm sure you know, but for the population that we work with, feel to have a passion and a direction and how much shame there is when they don't know. Right. Every little decision becomes, well, if I want this to be my career, I have to do well in this class, for example. And it's often a pressure, and I think it's an anxiety thing coming from the parents because they will talk about, I just want my kid to have a passion. And then I go, well, did you? At 16, did you have a passion? No, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay, how'd it work out? Because I didn't know at 16 either. Let's alleviate this for them because part of going should be to figure out what you like and what you don't like. Exactly. So I love that you have said the majority of students don't know yet. For example, my parents have picked a career at 18 and are still in that profession. Nobody from our generation and below expects to be in the same job forever. No. In the same career forever. And in fact, they don't want that. Right. They actively don't want that. Right. And college has got to prepare them for jobs that don't even exist yet. And so it's just something that I talk a lot about with parents. So I'm really, really grateful that you brought that up because I think it's important. It is important. And as you said, 
it's completely different from our parents' generation to our generation to the next generation. It's going to be changing again. But if you think now the typical time at a place at a job is not the 10, 15, 20 years plus, you know, maybe it'll be three to five years. And then they'll take the skills that they've learned and possibly tangent with them or morph them into something completely different. And it's a balance. It's creating a balance. And just like creating a balance, you know, that's a time of college. College is about learning to create a balance because you don't go to college. If you just want to take classes, fine. At this point, you know, we can do that online. Mm -hmm. But it's about learning the organizational skills, which you guys it helps so much with. It's learning time management. It's learning how to balance the social, emotional, and academic components because that's a really, really important time. You know, you may not have ever lived in the same room with a stranger. Probably not. So that's the whole education in itself. How do you figure your meal plans? It's a lot of navigating for sure. In college, I often sit there and say, like, don't graduate early. I agree. You have the rest of your life to play adult. And it's also a time to have fun and enjoy because you're never going to not have the responsibilities that you're going to have the rest of your life. I couldn't agree more. And for the students who started college during this COVID year, there is a part of me that wants them to make up that year. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I have one client in particular, she joined a sorority, which I was so excited about because it's very out of her comfort zone. And I was just like, gosh, my first year in my sorority was so much fun. I just want that for her. And I want her to have it all. And I couldn't agree more. I just had this conversation with my cousin who was considering an extra semester. I'm like, oh, take it. Take that extra year. Absolutely. You have your whole life. To work and pay back loans, right? Exactly. And look at all the study abroad. That was put on hold too. And that is now a big component of a lot of students' lives. It's not for everybody. You know, certain majors or certain classes that you say, well, no, I need to do that at my home campus. But that's been put on hold too. You know, hopefully that'll come back up. But that's a perfect example of if you need to take longer and financially it's doable. Correct. Because usually with the private college, we'll see. You will see. And the financial assistance doesn't always go beyond four years. Correct. But then you've got state schools, UCs and Cal States, you know, we're here in California, so we'll just address them. You know, if you're going in and you don't have the APs or classes you've taken at a community college, you're not graduating in four years, especially at the Cal State system, but the UCs too. So you are going to have to either go summers or take the extra half a year to a year to a year and a half. Now, financially, again, it might not be so doable for some people, but it's a gift in other ways. Mm -hmm. If we turn that into, oh, I have to take an extra year or an extra semester, well, 
If you go back to on campus, and many of the schools are planning on that, a good portion of them are planning on that for the fall, you know, it's a gift to make up what wasn't. And you're absolutely right. These kids that spent this last year in COVID online, you know, it's not what we all want for them, mm-hmm. parents, teachers, therapists, anyone. And we smile because we think of what we had had or what our children had and say, you know, they're missing out, but they may not actually realize everything they're missing out on. It's like the little kid that now puts on his pants, puts on his shoes and socks and shirt and mask because that's part of getting dressed. Mm-hmm. Do clients ever come across your desk where you look at the kids' ability, their level of independence and autonomy, how dependent they are on their ed specialist or ed therapist and their parents for their sort of functioning? And you look at it and you go, this isn't a kid who's ready yet, and we got to do a gap year and give them a little bit of time to grow up? Yes, they do come across my desk all the time, and I work with a number of them. And I look at different options. A gap year is one. Community college is another. There are living learning communities that I look at. There are schools that are designed with, let's just say, LD in entirety and very hands-on. There's a lot of different options beyond just going the straight any four-year college. I'm working with some now. I have some that I'm working with that are 2023 and 2022 kids. And I've worked with some transfers also. One of my transfers had major health conditions. And, you know, there were only certain places he could go because of the health situation. And he really wanted to live on a campus. Obviously, he's a transfer, so it's a little bit different. But we found a place that will work so he can live on campus. You know, I have a student that's actually going back east and has had tremendous support from all of her specialists, all her therapists and coaches, etc. And I was up front with the parents and I said, you know, she's going to just fly there, but she's going to need more help because of what she's had in the past. And so either I can help you or you're going to have to get some people to work with her outside of what the disability services or disability center offers. Mm -hmm. So I do take that into consideration and I try and work with the parents on that and approach it early because there's no sense in just being, oh, yes, they'll survive. Mm -hmm. They'll do fine. They're this and that, you know, right. You got to be honest. Yeah. How soon should parents really start thinking about it? Okay, let's talk about independent living skills for a minute. Okay, that's an aspect of getting ready for college that is kind of glossed over. And that's for any student, you know, the simple things of, okay, do they know how to wash clothes? You know, that's the one that comes up all the, do they know how to make a meal? Because some people can't even boil an egg or, you know, make sandwiches things like that. So that's one aspect, independent living skills. Are they going to be taking public transportation? You know, not all students have cars. 
And many schools don't even allow cars during that first year. Mm -hmm. So these are some of the independent living skills, depending on obviously what level a student is at. And that can start, I mean, in ninth grade. Or even sooner. And again, this is a general, I know I'm not addressing maybe specifics like the actual college, but what about learning how to advocate for yourself? You know, being comfortable with contacting a teacher because you're going to contact professors later, saying what you need, knowing how you learn best, or if a student's on medications, okay, why? What do you take it for? How does it help you? How do you get another prescription of it when you've run out? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I recommend that students lock up their prescriptions because in college, a lot of these ADD, ADHD medicines, you know, Mm. typical students want for finals, for midterms. So giving them the tools can start early. For sure. And as far as the actual looking at the college process, Mm -hmm. It depends on the student. Usually for someone who has learning challenges or other challenges, there's a big difference between how they are in ninth grade and how they are in 11th and 12th grade. It's true. So do we want to put the pressure on in ninth grade? No, let's give them a little more time. Maybe if you want to start in sophomore year, I know personally, I'll meet a couple times maybe just to make sure that they're on the right track academically, mm-hmm. that they're working with, if they need a coach or an ed therapist or something, to develop these skills. And so we'll meet a few times their sophomore year and more maybe towards the end, looking at summer. What are you going to, summer's a big thing. And yes, COVID leveled the playing field for everybody. And the colleges know that too. But now as things are opening more, what are you doing during the summer? That's a time where you can really shine. It used to be that people would pay for internship opportunities, maybe overseas or something like that. And they can be very costly. No, it could be working at your local retail store or even scooping ice cream. It's showing that you have responsibility to show up and to do your job, to meet people and things like that. It might be taking a class, but we want to make sure you're not spending your summers just going to the beach or TV or video games. You know, if you're developing a new app or a new game, that might be something different. But that's another component for sophomores and even more so for obviously for juniors. So looking at the end of sophomore year, start thinking about it or start the beginning of junior year. That's usually what I recommend for these kids. That's fair. Melanie, we can't thank you enough for coming on. And I know I speak for staff and for our audience. One thing I really appreciate is how you really are looking at the whole child here. Yes. A lot of your answers were about whole child, not simply the academics and and not just the name of the school. Yeah. And I know for the population that we work with, it's so important for these kids to be seen and understood and appreciated for the gifts that they do offer. Absolutely. And not made to feel sad about what is still developing. So On behalf of our audience, I just wanted to thank you for taking that perspective. But before we sign off, 
how can people work with you and connect with you? What is the best way? The best way is probably to email me. I am happy for people to email me with questions or have a quick little Zoom chat with them. Happy to do it. And if they tell me that they're part of your listeners, that's great. That way it gives me a reference. My email is melanie at MagellanCounseling.com. And Steph and Rachel, they can also go on Magellan Counseling. And I have a bio on the website, MagellanCounseling.com. And they can see more of my background and see a picture so they know what I look like. And (laughs) there's a little video there too. Oh, nice. Perfect. I've already linked it in our show notes for our audience. So don't worry, Smarties, I got you. (laughs) Melanie, thank you so much. And Smarties, how generous of her to offer up her time in that way and such direct access. Maybe we'll take advantage of that and we'll do a Facebook Live or something into our Facebook group. We'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. This was so fantastic. I love being included with your podcast for all your Smarties and you all, including me, in your family. Thank you for doing it. Can you do our signature sign-off, which is have a great week, Smarties? Absolutely. Have a great week, Smarties. (laughs) Have a great week. Perfect. Have a great week, guys.